Isn't it good to know that our God never changes? We sung about that today. He knows everything that is going on in our lives, in the, uh, in the world today. There's nothing that is hidden from him, and we can just give over all of that to him. So we need to give him thanks. I've had fun with this uh, series that we've been going through about the blood covenant. And I understand that some of this gets a little deep at times, and today it's going to get a little deeper. So, um, <clears throat> but I also hope today is a day where we make the connection between what happens in the Old Testament and uh, what happens with us today. We can make that connection between those ancient biblical times and Jesus himself. Better yet, I hope that today is a day where you make a connection with God where you have a connection with what his covenant actually means. It's my prayer that you will see how, when you apply the covenant to your life, that Jesus has fulfilled every single step and you are his covenantal partner. Uh, to do that, we need to just take just a couple moments just to review all the things that we've been talking about. Uh, so very quickly, we're gonna go through the Old Testament you can do some fill-ins here, and then when we go back and look at how Jesus has done them, you can go back and, and take some notes. So here are our steps of the blood covenant. The first one is that if I were in a covenant with somebody, if I were making a covenant with somebody, a cutting a covenant with someone, I would exchange robes. So I would exchange that outer garment and with that other person. It was to signify that we are exchanging our, but you remember? Our identities, we're, we're exchanging our identities. So as time goes on, uh, we begin to look a little bit more like one another. The second one is the exchanging of the belt. And this would be to signify that we are exchanging our Anybody? Our strengths. So we're exchanging our strengths with, every, with our covenantal partner. So whatever we have, we give to our partner. Whatever they have, they give to us. And so everything that I have, I would uh, freely give over. And it, therefore, everything that my covenant partner has, he would freely give it over to me. The third one is the exchange of weapons, where we would literally take our sword and give it to the covenantal partner, and they would do the same. And so we're saying that by doing that, we're exchanging enemies with one another. So if you would see me and you knew that I was in a covenant with someone, you knew that you also have to go through them if you want to get to me. All right. The fourth one was the sacrificial animal. And we see this back in the Old Testament. We talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago um, and where animals were literally cut into and the halves were laid out there as a sacrifice. As blood had to be spilled for the covenant to happen. The fifth step was that walk of death. And each of the covenantal partners would actually go through each of those halves of the animals, they would walk in a figure eight, which is also the sign of infinity. And so they would uh, um, take that walk. And as they would do that, they would be completely covered in that animal's blood. And it was to signify that 
every part of them is given over to the covenant, that they are holding nothing back whatsoever. The sixth step is the striking of hands. You remember how we we talked about in Old Testament days, uh, they would strike on their wrist or they would mark on their wrist. They would shake hands somewhere like this. And it was to say that now my blood is going through your veins and vice versa. But it was also the sign of the covenant so that if I were to wave to you or to shake hands with you, you would see that scar and you would know that I am in a covenant relationship with somebody else. And so that uh, you can't miss with me because you got somebody else to miss with as well. The seventh was a pronouncement of blessings and curses. And so we would say, you know, blessed are you when you get up and when you lie down. Blessed are you when you come and when you go. Blessed are your animals and your land and your produce and everything that, that you have. But cursed are you should you break this covenant. And cursed is I if I should break this covenant. And may what happened to these animals happen to me if I were to break this covenant with you. The eighth is a covenantal meal. We have a big old Nazarene potluck and a big party as we uh, made this covenant with one another. And part of that is where we get the bride and the groom still today feeding each other that wedding cake, remember? And so we would actually feed each other. And it's kind of weird for us today to say this, but it was to say that you are actually consuming me. So not only is my blood going through your veins, but I am now part of you and you are now part of me. The ninth is the exchange of names where each of the covenantal partners would take on a portion of the other partner's names. And then we ended last week by saying that the 10th step is the exchange of the firstborn son. And we hopefully saw that Jesus was not plan B, that Jesus was the plan from the very, very beginning of time. And so God was in a covenant, making this covenant with all of us. And so he has exchanged his son for us. So remember, a covenant was this life-changing event. It was a huge deal. Um, It was maybe, sometimes maybe between two individual parties, just like Brock and I made with one another on that first week where I stood up here and he stood up here and we went through all those steps. But I want to show you today how becoming a Christian means that you are actually in a covenant with Christ himself. Jesus has completed all of these steps of the covenant himself with us. Your salvation is more than just that moment in time uh, where you say, God, you can have control over my life. Your salvation is more than this moment in time where you first believe that Jesus actually is who he says he is. It's deeper. Your salvation is a lot more involved. It's actually a lot more beautiful than you've ever imagined. For us to be saved by Christ, we must first have heard the gospel, the good news of salvation of Jesus, right? Faith comes by hearing, his word says. But then we must believe or we must fully trust that Jesus did in fact die for our sins. And as we believe that, 
We are supposed to repent from our sins, which means that we are supposed to turn away from the things that we did that put Christ on the cross. And we need to recognize that it was, in fact, us that placed those nails in his hands. And Jesus says himself, there is no other way to be saved. In John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Sometimes I, I hear, well, Christianity is very exclusive, right? Well, I'm glad it's exclusive because there is no other God who has entered into a covenant with his children. Only our God has done that. So there may be only one way to be saved. One God to enter the covenant with. But he freely welcomes anyone who believes. Anyone who accepts by faith his gift of salvation. And so we're going to go through these steps of the covenant. And we're going to go through a lot of... Bible stories here and make references to Bible stories. If you're not familiar with all of these stories, I, I apologize. I don't have time to set the context of, of every single one of them, but I just want you to know that I'm available at any time. Our staff is available to you. If you just like to, to call and say, I don't, I don't quite get this, or I don't quite understand this story. Would you have time to sit down with me? We'd be glad to do that. We'd love to do that. So the first step Remember, is the exchange of robes. It's the exchange of identities. And it's meant to signify that one person was now known as the other. And over time, it becomes harder and harder and harder to distinguish one person from the other. And Jesus has made this exchange with us. We have come into this covenant. We entered into this covenant clothed in sin and unrighteousness. Jesus has come into this covenant clothed in righteousness and holiness. See, we put on his righteousness. He puts on our sin. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. In him. And so when we acknowledge that Christ is the Lord, he takes our sins upon him. We get to take upon his holiness. I think that's a pretty good exchange, don't you? I think it's a pretty good exchange. Our identities are supposed to be known together. You and I as Christians are supposed to be representatives of Jesus on earth. And he is now known as the God of all people. So when people see me, they better be seeing my covenantal partner. When people see me, they better see Jesus. When people see us, they should know that we represent Christ. They should see the righteousness and the holiness of Christ in you. Not because at that moment of salvation, we were made perfect, but because we are covered in his righteousness. And so the second step is this, 
the exchange of the belt was to signify our exchange of strengths. And Christ says, it is, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. In the Old Testament, uh, that blood covenant, the exchange of strength meant that everything that one covenant partner had, he would give to the other, right? Let me ask you, what do you have to offer God? What possible strength do you have to give to Christ in exchange for the strength that he willingly gives us? And so can you imagine, can you imagine in a life where you are imprisoned only to operate under your own strength? One of my favorite Bible verses is a familiar one, but it's actually a covenantal verse. It's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He gave me his strength. That's the covenant. Praise God that he gives that so freely to us. In exchange, he takes our weakness. 2 Corinthians uh, 13 verse 4 says, To be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. I am strong in Christ even though I am weak. So the third step is the exchange of weapons. It was the exchange of enemies. Remember, when you are in a covenant with somebody, uh, the enemies of one partner are now the enemies of the other. So my enemy, if I'm in a covenant with Jesus, my enemy is now Jesus's problem, right? And whoever would be the enemy of Jesus is now my problem. And through the new covenant, Jesus protects us and he provides us with protection. Luke, 9, or Luke 10, 19 says this, behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall injure you. Ephesians 6.13 says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Friends, those are covenantal verses. And since this is an exchange of enemies, we have to, to note that Christ takes on the only thing that you and I will never be able to defeat, and that's death itself. A, an eternal separation from God. Mankind's greatest enemy is that one day we would be separated from God. So remember when God told Adam, Adam, you can eat from any tree that you want, but don't eat from the one tree. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will surely die. But Adam and Eve did, didn't they? And so this is the Adamic covenant. This was the covenant that God made with, with mankind from the very beginning of time. This is that covenant. But in the new covenant, 
Jesus takes on death. And by his power, death is defeated. You and I don't have to suffer a separation from God. Jesus has defeated death. Wow. But that also means that you and I, therefore, have to, we have the charge to take on the enemy of God. And so that means that you and I have the charge to take on the devil or Satan himself. You see, when we're instructed, when, when it's written that we are to take on the full armor of God, do you notice that none of those weapons, none of that armor is a defensive we weapon? It is all offensive it's not intended to be used as we turn around and retreat from our enemy. It's never been intended that way. That armor is so that we can have a full-on attack, not against mankind, not against one another, but over the powers of this dark world. <laughs> See, the rest of Ephesians chapter 6 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And because of this, you have the power to defeat Satan. All because of step number two. He has given you his power. He has given you his, his strength. Next week, we're going to actually talk about that he is also giving you the authority over the evil one. The fourth step is the cutting of a sacrificial animal. And remember in the Old Testament, an animal was cut into the two different halves and left lying there on the ground. And later, as we would read, almost every uh, or every uh, offering that was made to God involved some sort of animal that was sacrificed or killed. And it was to pay the price of the sins of the people that made that offering. And so let's go back in time, all the way back to what we talked about last week and that covenant with Abram. When God said, Abram, I am going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars. And then he also says, but your descendants will be enslaved for over 400 years. Well, that came true, didn't it? It came true when the Israelite people were slaves in Egypt. And so fast forward a little bit. God calls Moses the, to go to the leader of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and tells the Pharaoh that he must release God's people. Long story short, Pharaoh says, yeah, right. Not going to happen. I got a whole bunch of free labor here. I'm not going to let these people go. And so God sends plague after plague after plague against the Egyptian people. And the last plague is the death of the firstborn son. So during that night, the angel of death was to come through the land. The angel of death was to pass over the land. And the firstborn son of every family would die. And before that, the Israelite people were instructed 
to kill a lamb and to place its blood as a covering over their doors. And this was to be a sign for the angel that the people inside were covered by the blood of a sacrificial animal. But this would have been more than just killing uh, a lamb, killing some sort of sacrificial animal to the Israelites. When this happened, when they were instructed to do this, they would have seen this as God wanting to make a covenant with them. And they also would have known that that meant the death of their firstborn son. So in order for God to bless them, they were thinking, wow, this may cost me. Imagine how they would have reacted when Moses tells them to slaughter that young lamb, to cover their doorpost with the blood. And they said, are you kidding me? God is wanting to make a covenant with me? I've heard that he wanted to make a covenant with with, uh, Adam, but me? He's made a covenant with Moses, but me? And in the New Testament, we know that Jesus himself has now become that lamb without blemish. A man without sin became our sacrificial lamb. And it's through his blood that we are made clean. See, it's through Jesus that the price has been paid. It was through Jesus that the sacrifice has been made for the covenant that you are in with God. It just so happens that the sacrifice also is our covenantal partner. So let's talk about the fifth step, the the walk of death. This one might be a little bit more difficult to to grasp, but I think we can make a pretty good argument here. Uh, But remember, let's look again at Abraham's covenant with God uh, that we talked about in the last couple weeks. Abraham had just sacrificed those animals for the covenant. And before he could walk through the parts, before Abram could complete the walk of death himself, God placed him into a deep sleep. You remember why? It's because God knew there was no way for Abram or any of his descendants to perfectly keep that covenant. He knew we would fail. So God, remember in the story, God sent this flaming torch who walked through the halves of the animals. And Jesus is represented as a flaming torch or a pillar of fire. And so that was Jesus himself walking through the halves of those animals. God made that walk of death himself and said, if this covenant is ever broken, I'm going to be the one to pay the price. So fast forward a few thousand years, Jesus has been arrested and he has been beaten within an inch of his life. Prophecy in the Old Testament even says that he was beaten so badly that he was unrecognizable as a man. The beating would have been so severe 
that ribbons of flesh would have hung from his body and the loss of blood would have been tremendous that day. And after the beating, Jesus very literally was made to carry his cross and make a walk of death. He had to walk up the, that hill of Golgotha where the cross is going to be placed. And every single time that Jesus would have taken a step, his foot would hit a place where his blood had already fallen. Remember in that blood covenant, both parties were supposed to walk through the blood of the sacrifice. But this time your covenant partner makes that walk himself. Just like God did in that covenant with Abram. The sixth step is the striking of hands or a mark on the body. In the Old Testament times, the the mark on the body to signify that somebody was in a covenant with God was actually circumcision. And we can go into a pretty long discussion as to why it was on that part of the body. Uh, But again, this has to do with God's covenant with Abram or Abraham. See, remember at the time of the covenant, Abram was well beyond childbearing age. Well beyond. He was an old, old man. And so God's mark there was a sign to Abram that yes, indeed, he would have descendants. And so this became a sign for the Israelite people that they were to be in a covenant with God. And all males were to be circumcised. Remember, we just sang about it, this story where David faces Goliath and David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against God? And basically he's saying, who is this guy who is not in a covenant with my God? Who is this guy that is coming against us? Doesn't he know that our enemy is also God's enemy? Do you realize who you're missing with? See, before circumcision and and other cultures still do this to this day, that mark would be on the wrists and they would shake hands or wave so that the, uh, or they would shake hands so that their blood would intermingle. And if you were to wave at somebody, you would show them that you are in covenant In the New Testament, though, the Apostle Paul talks about the circumcision of our hearts for everyone who believes. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 says, when you came to Christ, you were all circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision when he cut away your sinful nature. So just like that mark was once for everyone to see, it still is. But now we are circumcised of the heart. You and I are now supposed to be known by how we love each other. And the mark of our covenant is to be seen by by how we treat each other by our compassion, by our care. 
by how we're supposed to seek out justice and reconciliation. And that covenant is reflected in our Christian character. So Christ took upon also the, a mark himself. After he was nailed to that cross and those nails were hammered through his flesh and a spear pierced his side. You remember the story afterwards, after his resurrection, Jesus appears to the doubting Thomas. And he says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hands, put them into my side. Stop doubting Thomas and believe. See what Jesus was doing was showing Thomas the mark of the covenant. But he also talks of an upcoming covenant when he says, because you have seen me, you believed. But blessed are those, blessed are those who have not seen it, but yet still believe. You see, I cannot see the mark of the covenant on your body because you are circumcised of the heart but I sure can see the mark of love. I sure can see that. And I can see that you are in covenant with Christ because of a lack of a mark of sin in your life. So step seven was the pronouncement of blessings and curses. And we, we know the blessings, right? Trust in Jesus, be rewarded with heaven. Ignore his gift of salvation and be banished into the lake of fire right? Jesus, heaven. Ignore Jesus, hell. Pretty simple, right? Pretty straightforward. And we can go on and on with it, but let's just leave it at this. You received the blessing because Jesus was blameless and perfect. He receives the curse of death because you are not. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have sinned against Jesus. He receives the curse. We receive the blessing. Step eight is a covenantal meal. In just a moment, we're gonna have communion with one another. We're gonna take part in this step of the covenant. So right now, we'll just skip this one. We'll go on to nine and we'll come back. Step nine is the exchange of names. In the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself not only as the son of God, but he starts referring to himself as the son of man. He very literally takes on the name of mankind. And you and I, all of those that are in covenant with Jesus, now are called Christians, which literally means little Christs. So step 10, remember we skipped this one the first week. Step 10 is the exchange of that eldest son. Remember when Abraham went through the steps of the covenant with God and it was Jesus himself that walked through the parts of the animal. God is saying, you will receive my son. There came a time when God does something that seems very strange to us. And he asked Abraham later to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. 
And God tells Abraham to take Isaac to the mountain and literally sacrifice him there. Why would Abraham do that? It seems insane to us now, doesn't it? If God said, Brian, I need you to take Isaiah and sacrifice him, I'd be like, "Mm, I'm out, God. I'm sorry. I don't think that's going to happen. But Abram knew exactly what was required in his covenant with God. He He doesn't, by the way, Uh, God doesn't make him sacrifice his son. God actually substitute an animal instead of Isaac. But Abraham knew that this covenant requires my firstborn son. And the Israelites in Egypt knew the covenant required their firstborn son. But God passed over them. Why? Why? Because God knew he would give his son instead. In the new covenant, God is the one that sacrifices his son. And so it was this son that on the night he was betrayed, took some bread and some wine and went through the eighth step of the covenant with his disciples. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Callie to come forward and our ushers to come and to hand out the the elements to all of us. In the, as you can see, we're going back to the old way that we used to do uh, communion. Praise the Lord. Uh, But if you're not comfortable with that, I completely understand that and respect that. So in each of the trays, there are uh, six or so of the uh, self-serving communion if you don't feel comfortable in reaching and grabbing the bread from the middle. See, Jesus and his disciples had that Passover Seder. They were having a Passover dinner with one another um, on that Thursday before Jesus was crucified. And this cer- in that ceremony, in the Passover ceremony, ushers, you can go ahead and, and pass those out while I'm talking. That's perfectly fine. Thank you. In this ceremony, in the Passover ceremony, there would be four cups on that table. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification. It means that God is going to set us apart. It means that we are set apart for God's plan. He had a plan for the Israelite people when he rescued them out of slavery. And he still has a plan for us as he rescues us out of the slavery of sin. He has set us apart for his purpose. The second cup is called the cup of praise. It's to praise God that he still continually delivers us out of the hand of our enemies. We would die and then be eternally separated away from God if it weren't for that covenant that we have with him. So praise his name that even to us today, death has no sting. Death has no victory over the Christian. The third cup would be called the cup of redemption. 
This is where the Israelite people were in Egypt. They would have been subjected to many different foreign gods, constantly exposed to the Egyptian false gods. And the cup of redemption praises that God is in fact the one true God. And this would have been the cup that Jesus held on that night when he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which was shed for you. He shed his blood to rescue you out of the slavery of sin. The apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter five, for indeed Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed for us. The fourth cup is called the cup of anticipation. And we could open up to Matthew chapter 26 and read this story where Jesus took this cup and gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you saying, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of their sins. But I say to you, I will not drink from the fr fruit of this vine. From now until the day when I, when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So Jesus and his disciples would have finished most of the meal, but Jesus didn't drink from this cup. The fourth cup is yet to be consumed. And nowhere in scripture can I find that Jesus actually consumed this cup in that Passover meal. But when he was on that cross, he cried out, I thirst. And it was then that he was given a sponge with vinegar. And it was after drinking that last cup that Jesus finally says, it is finished. Could it be that when our Lord Jesus spoke those words, he's not just referring to his life. He's not just referring to his mission, but he's referring to the covenantal meal that started in that last supper. Here on the cross, Jesus completes the Passover meal and he drinks from the fourth cup. And just like the Israelites were saved as the angel passed over them, we too are saved as the penalty for our sins passes over us and onto Christ. So early in the night, Jesus instructs us, earlier in that night, Jesus instructed us to take the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it. And he said, this represents my body, which has been crushed for you. His body was made our sacrifice. He was be beaten. He bled, he walked in his own blood and he died in our place.
And he says, or Apostle Paul says that whenever we eat of this, we should do it in remembrance of him. So church, any of you who have accepted the gift of his salvation, which means that you are in covenant with Christ, know that it is his body, which is sacrificed for you. So eat in remembrance of him. And remember he took that cup and he said, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of their sins. And it is now his blood of righteousness that we are clothed in. He became sin for you so that your identity shall be known now as his identity. So no longer you have to be known by your sin, you are now known as a follower of Christ. And as we drink of this, also remember part of that covenant meal was to say that you are now part of me. That I am not my, my own from this point on, that you are now part of me. And Jesus said, as he is ascending to heaven, that he was not going to leave us alone, that the Holy Spirit would come and live in us. So as we drink, let's do this in remembrance of him and knowing that this is the cup of his new covenant. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's so good to know that once again, you are not a God of plan B. That from the very beginning of time, even as the world was created, and you said, let us make mankind in our image. Jesus wasn't plan B and the Holy Spirit wasn't plan C. It was the plan from the beginning of time. And so Lord, we thank you that as followers of Christ, we have entered into a covenant with you. You have done every step of the covenant with us. We are clothed in your righteousness. We have received your strength. We have the power and the authority to take upon your enemy as you have already defeated ours. And Lord, you have promised us that instead of our firstborn son, you offered us yours. And so Lord, we thank you that your son has fulfilled the covenant. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings. And thank you, Lord, for taking on our curse. You are a great and wonderful God. And you are worthy of all of our praise. Now, Lord, would you be with us as we leave here, as we leave PFN, as we uh, turn off the live stream this morning. And now we represent you Monday 
through Saturday. Lord, may we take you wherever we go. May we remember that as we consumed the blood of the new covenant, that you are now part of us and you go with us wherever we may go. So Lord, challenge your church. Be with your church as we go and make disciples. Help us, Lord, to complete your mission, your commission. And Lord, remind us that it is not done under our strength, but yours, because we are in covenant with you. Wow. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being with us today. We thank you for opening up your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we open it and we read your words of covenant, that the Bible just comes alive for us, that we would understand just how much you love us. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today. Be with us as we go. And may your blessing forever be upon those who are in covenant with you. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.